Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. Our conversation today will be helpful for those of you who have experienced your own loss, or for those of our listeners who want to learn how to respond to those around them who mourn the loss of a child. Our guest today is Deaconess Catherine Ziegler Weber. Catherine is the author of Never Forsaken, God's Mercy in the Midst of Miscarriage. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're glad to have you. And I will say this is a first for the podcast of um, having an international conversation. So greetings to you and your family and, and all there in Argentina. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to have a conversation <laughs> that, that with someone in the States. <laughs> so Now, how long have you been? I know your husband is a pastor there um, in Argentina, correct? Yes, he is a pastor here. Mm-hmm. How long, how long have you been there? I have been here five years. Okay. He's been here his whole life. <laughs> so, so. so a little bit of a culture shock for you. Yes. Yes, it definitely has been. So, yeah. Well, we're glad that, we're glad that it worked out that you could spend some time with us today. I know um, after Never Forsaken was released, I had the opportunity to hear from several women who had read it. And it was as though they breathed a giant sigh of relief and said, finally, this is so helpful. We really appreciate this, this book. Um, so on behalf of those readers, this is a big thank you to you. Well, it's wonderful. What was it that um, kind of got you to thinking that this is a book that needed to be written? Well, I mean, obviously I had my own miscarriage and um, I, at the time when, uh, let's see, how did that all play out? Um, Because that was about four years ago, I think. Um, I was in conversation Um, going back a bit, I was a missionary in the Dominican and I served with, uh, several different women there. And one of the women there had had a miscarriage as well. And so we were both in conversation with each other and we, in the conversation, we were asking each other, why isn't there a resource that's Lutheran out there? Uh, because the only thing that, that we could access at the time was, other denominations or, you know, what have you, um, or our basic knowledge of what we did know, you know. Um, So we kind of got to talking about that, and then I messaged Rosie Adel, Adley? I don't know. I can never say it right. Rosie Adel. Adel, thank you. It's just Rosie. (laughs) It is Rosie. She's great. But um, I messaged her and asked her, and she really got the ball rolling on it. Then she put me in contact. It was a fast-moving train once we just said something about it. Once we opened up about it, it became this, I guess we're writing a book <laughs> kind of thing. So, <laughs> so it was, <laughs> you've got to be careful sometimes when you, prop, you um, bring up a topic to people connected with the publishing house because it you, <laughs> may see the train take off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised. I, and, and, you know, there were, there were definitely times of feeling inadequate for the, for the topic and everything. And I'd, I'd always say to my husband, you know, I don't know, like maybe, maybe they're just being nice and being like, Oh, just let her write the book. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you know, there were, 
um, it, I was really amazed at how God really paved the way for, for the book to, to be done to, and especially how CPH really, you know, jumped on board and just said, yes, we need this. Let's, let's, let's do this and how open everyone was in the whole process. So. I do have to say, I do remember the email from Rosie coming through and where she, she sent the note over and was like, um, I think that this might be something good. And so it was kind of fun to see how that all started. So yeah. I'm glad that it all came, came to be because it, like I said, it has helped a lot of women already. And I think it's, it has the absolute potential to reach so many more and really be a comforting resource. Um, great. So this, this is great. Um, now, now I'll confess, I think I mentioned this to you before we started, this is not a topic that I have like firsthand experience with. Um, I've known, I have friends and I have family members who have experienced a miscarriage and have had, have gone through this and my heart aches. It just, it just breaks when, when I learn of that. And I always want to be careful that I don't say the wrong thing or that I, I do my best to help, um, because I can't fully understand what they're thinking. And I have to believe that when the news of a miscarriage is first delivered and then going on, there has to be this visceral reaction of the question, why? Where, why don't we start there with the why? How, okay. how do you approach that um, when, when thinking about this? Well, the why is just really, there's no, there's no words, there's no answers, you know. Um, a lot of people try to answer the why when they, when they uh, find out that somebody's had a miscarriage or in, in giving words of comfort. And sometimes that can do more harm than good because even if we knew why, I don't think it would satisfy us. I don't think it would be good enough. Uh, if we knew that there, it was because of genetic malformation or if we knew, you know, it was because of that one glass of wine that I had or something silly like that, you know, what comfort does that bring in the end, you know? And um, we, you know, we, I think everybody, whether they've had a miscarriage or not, asks that at some point, you know, why, why, why did this have to happen or why? Do I have to go through this right now? And I mentioned this in the book, but you know, we don't we don't get answers sometimes this side of eternity. But what we do have is we have the response of Christ on the cross. Christ died for us, you know. So sometimes that doesn't feel sufficient. Sometimes it just feels like a cheap answer thrown out there you know, to, to like a cheap bandaid on our, on our wounds. But if you think about that, you know, Christ's life wasn't cheap. <laughs> the expense, you know, the cost to pay for our sins, to pay for uh, all of, all of our transgressions and then bring us back to the father came at the, at the cost of another life. Someone else had to die for, for, you know, to bring us back to God so that we can have eternal life, so that we can reap the joys of eternal life. And so, you know, as far as answering that question, this side of eternity, there's no good answer apart from the fact that we wait 
we hope in Christ and we we trust in God and that's law <laughs> and that doesn't sound very nice uh, but you know at the end of the day it's God is gracious and he is merciful and we see that in the cross and we see that uh, in the death of his son so there is joy to be had there as well and and so yeah there's there's nothing you can say sometimes. So take comfort in that. <laughs> so it, It's hard sometimes to sit back and recognize that God's ways are not our ways. And we just aren't meant to understand some things, like you said, the side of heaven. Yeah. Um, and that takes, that takes a lot to kind of, to come to grips with, especially when it's such a emotional um, situation as the loss of a child. Yeah. I think, you know, and something that my husband said to me, I I can't remember which miscarriage it was because I've had multiple, but he said, you know, we look to Job where he says the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And at first I remember kicking against that and thinking how awful, why would God give just to take away? You know, that just sounds terrible. And then when I sat back or when I was removed from my grief a little bit more, or when I had a little distance there, I thought about it a little more and I thought, you know, God didn't just give me a child. He's given me so much more. He's given me his son. He's given me salvation. He's given me a roof over my head from the, from the very basic fundamental things to the, to the greatest things Praise be to God, because he did give me a child, if only for a couple months, if only for, you know, a couple days, you know, thanks be to God that, you know, I was able to, to have a child. And naturally, because I've recent, I recently found out, too, that one of my friends had to go through, I have several friends who have to go through quite extensive processes just to be able to have a child. And um, while you... You know, you never want to entertain the thought of losing it. The very thought that you are able to have them, that the giver of life entrusts you, even if for a short time with a life, that's a blessing and that's a joy uh, to be had right there. So. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a tremendous. I, I like the perspective you put on that, even if it was just for a very short time, you had that opportunity and it's again, it can be unfathomable to try to understand. And you're right, we shouldn't try to answer why, because I think if we try to come up with an answer, like you said, we'll never be satisfied. And more than likely, it will lead to either guilt or shame or other feelings that aren't helpful. Um, what role do guilt, shame, and fear have? And you know, what do we, how do we respond when they rear their ugly head in all of this? Oh, goodness. Guilt, shame, and fear. Uh, to be perfectly candid, I had a miscarriage um, in March right before we went into quarantine. And uh, I can tell you there's been a lot of guilt in that because you, you start to wonder, was I, was I not caring for my body like I should have been? And then so I lost the child. Um the fear, you know, uh, did I expose myself to something or, you know, I think also in the, in the book I talked about how, 
the fear of reincorporating into society. What will people think of me? What do people say? I even had uh, one person try to console me with Middle, Middle Eastern philosophy, or I don't know what you would call that, basically trying to tell me, well, you just need to accept good things, and then you'll have a baby. <laughs> it's, and it's like, well, thanks, but, you know, that's not really... <laughs> I'm not thinking about having a baby right now. I'm kind of grieving the last one. So, and so and it was just very out of left field. So like uh, guilt, shame, and fear, all those things when you're dealing with a miscarriage, when you're dealing with, you know, you have friends who do have children with no problems. And that's great. Praise be to God for those, for those women but at the same time, you look to them and you feel a little embarrassed, you know, that, you know, that my body didn't respond how it was supposed to. Um, and, you know, it, you go back to the why then, you know, and it, it's this vicious cycle of all these questions. And in those moments, what I personally try to do is remind myself that I'm a baptized child of God, first and foremost, that you know, I was born into a broken world and we all have broken bodies and it doesn't matter how much yoga I do <laughs> that, you know, it's, I could do yoga is just like, and I wrote about this in the book as well. When I had my daughter, everything was perfectly fine with my body. It was her little heart that had them, you know, they had to do an emergency cesarean. And so you can do everything right. And at the end of the day, we're broken people. And that's why we need a savior. And that's why we need to remember that God, um, he washes us and he calls us his, his children and he calls us beloved. And he showers us with his grace and his love through those waters of holy baptism. And that is where we have our identity, not in the miscarriage itself. You know, the miscarriage might define a moment of our life. It might be how a life ended uh, that was that we were looking forward to, that we were hoping for, but it doesn't define the story of salvation for us. It does not define um, us as individuals and our shortcomings therein. It's, it's only, it becomes a part I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but it becomes a part of who we will become in that it's a part of our story, but it doesn't define us, I would say, in, in so, so completely that we get lost in the details of a miscarriage, if that makes sense. So drawing yourself out of fear, guilt, and shame is really important for anybody who's lost a child. It becomes really... Um, I think important as we interact with people who have lost children to to know how fear, guilt, and shame can play into their daily life, you know, because there's also the aspect of, you know, feeling guilty because you can't rejoice with others in full joy, you know, uh, because you're, you're grieving, you know, what you lost, you're grieving what you, what could have been, you, it's just, a strange emotional roller coaster in a lot of ways, you know, and if you are hoping to have more kids, you know, sometimes miscarriage can play a factor in that of not being able to have more. So 
Yeah, so learning to not define yourself by your dreams and aspirations to have children in, in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Because just as the Lord gave and took away, you have to be able to rest your head on Christ and say, I trust you in this moment. I place all that I am in you. And I'm, and again, that's a lot of law, <laughs> but you know, it, it becomes this, it becomes just a faith walk of, you know, praise be to God uh, in all things, because if it were left to us as poor, wretched sinners, we wouldn't even be able to, to bring forth life in the first place. So. At keeping our focus on our, our identity as a child of God is critical, no matter the topic that we're talking about. Um, and I think we would all be well served to remember that daily and intentionally because it will change how we interact with everyone. Um, most of the, all the time I would hope. Um, so keeping our, to, to remind anyone going through this, that their identity is unshakably rooted in Christ is it's, it's powerful. Um, and it's so comforting for those of us who are looking to help someone who is feeling guilty. Um, how can we come alongside and help provide a little bit of comfort and release so that say, you know, it's, we don't want to say, Oh, don't, don't, do that. Don't feel guilty or don't feel the shame. You don't, you don't need to do that. But what's a, what's a healthy way, a helpful way that we can come alongside and help, help you through that grief and shame and fear. I think a big thing that I think we fail to do, not just with miscarriage, but in a lot of other situations is validating, validating a person in their feelings and saying, I understand that this must be hard for you. I understand that you're going through a lot. I understand um, that this must be very difficult. I can't even imagine what you must be going through. I can't even imagine what this must feel like for you. Uh, validating them with statements like that instead of things like, well, don't worry, you can have more kids or, you know, God knows what he's doing, things like that. They don't really uh, affirm somebody. For example, I'm a verbal processor. And so I need to be able to say something, even if I know it's crazy. And then eventually I'll be able to come back and, and say, okay, yeah, that was crazy. Um, let's talk that out. Let's, you know, uh, let's examine, you know, what the truth is in what I am saying and what is just out, out there. <laughs> so I think um, asking questions to of individuals uh, who have gone through miscarriage and allowing them to speak uh, and hear themselves verbally process as well. Uh, so for example, saying things like, how are you doing? This is a very simple question. Uh, how are you feeling today? Um, what are your needs? Very simple, basic questions. Um, obviously, I'm not a counselor, but I think that's where a counselor 
would try to dig deeper at the at the situation to get somebody to talk and um, if anybody's been through counseling I think they can kind of gather like you know what are those probing questions <laughs> you know that you want to ask a friend just to get them to talk not to diagnose them not to to play counselor in their life or anything like that but just to allow them to feel safe to open up to talk um, that might even be a question that you could ask them is have you thought of of seeing somebody and talking to them about that of what you're going through because you know it's a lot it's a lot to process and a lot of women might be too prideful or too afraid to even see a counselor asking them have you talked to your pastor about this um, would you feel comfortable talking to your pastor would you like me to go with you to go talk to your pastor or to a counselor uh, what has your family said about what's going on how has how have other people's how have other people comforted you in this journey because you might get some surprising information from them as an individual by asking them uh, these questions and then like I said allowing them to to just talk and allowing them and don't feel like you have to have the answers because I'm sure they've heard everything <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure they probably yeah. have uh, in, the, in the book you talk about how ritual can be used to help when a woman is feeling hopeless what can you explain that a little bit and what that might right. look like so <clears throat> I guess um, a very concrete example, and one of the contributing writers talked about this as well. Um, but when I was I was younger, I remember I was in college, and I was just going to church because it's what you do on Sunday. I was a pastor's daughter. That's what we did. We go to church. I was on my own, living on my own. And I went to church every Sunday, and I kind of realized I was just going through the motions. But when I finally came to and started thinking about, okay, so what are the motions I'm going through? What does that say? What does that mean? What is that communicating? I started asking questions. Um, one thing that we were taught in seminary was that when you go to a funeral um, as, as a bereaved person, um, when you go, you might not get 90% of what's going on um, in that moment in the funeral service. But if the pastor, for example, gives you a printout of the, if you take a bulletin and you get a printout of the sermon, you can look back at that and recall, oh yeah, I was just going through the motions. I was in a fog. But then when you look back at it, it adds meaning and it can give you hope because the words that are proclaimed, the gospel that's preached there, might not register for a couple months. It might not, you know, sink in. And we see that a lot in the Bible, too, where Christ heals people. He heals them to prepare them for a message. Because if he left them in their bereaved state, they wouldn't be able to hear that gospel message in the same way as when their hearts are lightened by the joy of having been healed or having seen a loved one be healed. So you kind of see a pattern there. And 
and the 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 thing is is as as Christians um, who I think the majority that read the book ascribe to some kind of faith or foundation in Christ, hopefully, they will see that there are rituals in our life. There are things that we do that at times we just do because it's what feels right. Like Peter, when he went out fishing after Christ had risen from the dead, it's what felt good to him at the time. It's what he needed to do. But what did it do? It draw back. It drew back the memories of when he caught all those fish. And it drew back the memories of when Christ said, I will make you fishers of men. And it told him the story doesn't end here. It goes on. And that's what church does for us. That's what ritual does for us. It allows us to continue to move through life, even though our brains are still catching up to our bodies, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes absolute sense. Um, and while we're going through these rituals and or going through the grieving process, I think it's very natural for someone to become angry, um, either angry at their bodies, angry at God, and it would could become very difficult, I would think, to continue to go through the motions or continue in prayer. So how can we continue to talk to God even when we're angry? Right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a wonderful point because um, like the stages of grief, we all get there at some point. We get angry. And uh, the Psalms become a, a wonderful place. Um, oh, I have it. I have it right here. I have my Bible opened up to Psalm 42. At the end of the Psalm, it says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him and help the help of my uh, countenance and my God. So most of the Psalms turn back to praise at the end. But there's a lot of lament in the Psalms. They show us how we can be angry with God. They show us how we can shout at him and, 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 and say, you know, why God? Why, why would you let this happen? Even David knew what it was to lose a child. And so I think that's hugely encouraging to know, even in the midst of our anger, God provides us with ways to be angry with him. And he allows us to be. Uh, we see that uh, throughout all of Scripture. In fact, the one thing that God doesn't want is that you would grumble to others about him and not to him about him, as we see with the children of Israel. So I think that's really encouraging to know, like God says, okay, take it out on me. Come on, hit me. You can do this. <laughs> you know? I think he can. I think he can handle it too. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> no, I love yeah. the Psalms and the Psalms have such a way of capturing like, every range of emotion and if i've found more times than i can count if i don't have if i can't come up with words on my own there's going to be a psalm that captures it and lets me lament or lets me you know praise what whatever the emotion may be so i think it's it's a very uh, useful place to look yes yeah they're great they're wonderful so as we think about this if a if a mother is 
or a woman is feeling doubt about where she should turn or where she should look or should she talk about her loss, where can she turn? Well, first of all, obviously, I think she should know that she can turn to her Lord and Savior and she can turn to scriptures. Hopefully she has people in her life. Hopefully she has a husband that she can turn to if she doesn't. Hopefully she has um, a mother and a father if she doesn't. Um, hopefully she has friends that she can go to. And hopefully she feels comfortable enough to go to her pastor. Because pastors are supposed to be trained to handle this. Uh, pastors are supposed to be the ones that give us the gospel and the encouraging word of God. Um, unfortunately, we have to remember that pastors are humans as well, and they're broken people, and at times they might not know what to say, and they might say the wrong thing, um, or they might not, they might not say the Maybe not the wrong thing, but they might not say the right thing <laughs> that you want to hear. You know, depending on how your perspective, I guess, is the glass half empty or half full? <laughs> or but the right the, thing at the wrong time. <laughs> so it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know I have. I know when I was at seminary, I know that's a different time in the career of. I mean, it's young men studying to be pastors. But I remember there being lots of conversations about, okay, well, what's your bedside manner like? And is that something you should really say to somebody else, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think that there's, uh, there's, there's care and tact that needs to be had. But in the first place, a woman needs to feel at least that she can go to her pastor. And I think, um, or that there is a pastor that she can go to. If it's not her own, maybe there's there's um, a nearby church, Lutheran church, another Lutheran church, or another pastor, or even a chaplain. You know, um, God still, as long as His word is being spoken, there's comfort to be had. Um, when I worked in chaplaincy, I worked in in a in a chaplaincy program when I was in Cambridge, England, and um, it was interesting to see many different people from many different walks of life, all with the same goal of bringing comfort to people who were sick in bed. And, you know, as Lutherans, we value our confessions and our doctrine, and, we, and that's important to us. But God still spoke through Balaam's ass, so I think that he can use just about anybody to speak a word of comfort. And if it's not coming from your pastor, that's okay. <laughs> so, but but you're right. As long as there's someone there, and to be in, encouraged to go find someone so that you don't grieve alone, I think is is exactly. critical. Yeah, and I think that's a danger. Uh, anybody who's grieving, not just with miscarriage. A lot of people think I can do this. It's okay. I don't, it's, it's my cross to carry. I can handle it. I can be strong. I don't know where we get that from. I don't know if that's an American mentality kind of thing, like suck it up, buttercup, let's go, you know, <laughs> you know, get, get your Starbucks and get back to work or what. I don't know where that comes from, but there's definitely 
this and maybe that's because Lutherans are predominantly of Germanic descent. I don't know where it comes from exactly. We're stubborn. We're and stoic too. Yeah. Yes. And it, so it's oh, I can handle this. So I think um, it also can come from a place of of somebody thinking, you know, oh, I don't want to be hurt. I don't even want to hear the wrong things. So I'm not even going to tell anybody. Um, so, but yeah, you it, it's it's important to speak about it and to not um, carry that cross alone because it's not just about you're grieving in some ways. It's not just about you and whether or not you're a strong person or not, or whether you even have a right to grieve. Um, there was a life there. There was a life worth acknowledging. There was a life that, you know, not only you uh, were, that was not only taken from you as, an, as a mother who's lost a child, but it was taken from your husband. It was taken from those who surround you, what who maybe wanted an opportunity or who were already, you know, uh, eagerly awaiting and anticipating the birth of the child. So, you know, our stories are not isolated to us as individuals. We live within a body for a reason. We live within a community for a reason. So when one person grieves, you have to know that your grief is not your own. There are generally many people around you who see you hurting, who know that you're hurting, whether you say it or not, and they want to be able to grieve with you in one way or another. And that's that's the beauty of community. And I think that's something that we forget is that joy doesn't have to be the only thing that's communal. Grief can be communal as well. How can a woman who's experienced this learn to talk about her loss so that the community can come around her and support her in her grief? I think a lot of that goes back to the guilt, shame, and fear thing. Um, because, a lot of what keeps somebody from talking about it is guilt, shame, and fear. Guilt because, you know, I, my body didn't perform what it was supposed to do in, in housing a child for nine months. And, you know, I'm afraid of what people will say to me because of that. And I'm ashamed of it. And so all that comes into play. And so she, she decides to keep the story to herself. Um, discussions at work can be socially awkward. I would just say own it. <laughs> own the own the own your story <laughs> and do not be ashamed of it. Because and and I mean I don't know this is another quirk. I guess like just just stop being apologetic <laughs> for for your own, you know, because what you might perceive as being uncomfortable, somebody else might not. If the other person has a problem with it and it makes them uncomfortable, we live in a society, That's this is the thing that gets me kind of fired up a little bit because we live in a society that talks about like how, oh no, don't talk about that. Don't step on my truth. You know, this whole like political everything that's going on and everything. And it's like, well, fine then. You know, I had a miscarriage. <laughs> You know, I have two kids that I never got to hold. So I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but that's my truth and that's my reality. So, you know, I well, think... I, I, 
Yeah, go ahead. I love, I love how you're saying own it because if we're secure in our identity as a child of God, then no matter our, our story, we should be able to own it and be able to share it and then point everyone back to where our identity and our hope is rooted. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, I had a miscarriage, but I have faith that one day I will see the children that I've lost because I believe God is a gracious God. So there you have a confession, you know, you have a confession of faith. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I'm not sorry. (laughs) So I think that's, that's like the, the problem with society is we've, we've become too apologetic for being who we are as Christians, even, you know. So your miscarriage says something about who you cling to in times of grief, in times of struggle. It says something about who God is shaping you and forming you into, uh, somebody that depends more fully on him and more completely in the, in the valleys of life. So own it. <laughs> You know, talk about that. That's such a, it's a powerful note, I think, for us to end on that we need to own it. We need to own our identity and own the lessons that God is teaching us um, because I think other people will benefit. We may not know when or how, but at some point God is going to use us all in his way, his time. Um, and it may not be for us to understand now. Exactly. Yeah. So, um Thank you, Catherine, for spending some time with us to talk about this today. Um, I'm going to make sure that we have a link to the book, Never Forsaken, God's Mercy in the Midst of Miscarriage, in the show notes. So anyone who wants to learn more, um, I absolutely would encourage you to go check that out because it's it's a useful book for everyone to take a look at. And it's it's an important topic, and I'm glad we've had some time to talk about it today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate, like I said, being able to talk about the book, being able to, um, I don't know, give give life <laughs> to to the words that were on on the page, give a little bit more uh, depth to it all. And I really appreciate, like I said, being able to to talk about this at a time when, you know, everybody's everybody wants to talk about who they are, where they're coming from, and <laughs> what's going on in their life. <laughs> so. Well, it's, we, we know where our identity is rooted, and that's a great message um, anytime and any day. So thank you for sharing that with us in this context. All right, listeners, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.